So we are currently in the book of Acts. We started our series last week. And you'll remember that last week I said that Acts is the history of the church. It's the original story. And it is also our story because the church uh, came into being. And we are still part of it. And uh, we said that Acts is almost like a map, right? A book to help us navigate through the Christian life. So I did an introduction last week. And uh, we saw that, uh, that, that the book of Acts is one long continuation of a really, really, really awesome story. So I do want to encourage you to go and check out our intro service last week of the book of Acts. Um, it's a really important foundation for our series. I spoke about who Luke is. We spoke about the ending of the book. We spoke about who Theophilus is. We spoke about the gospel of Luke and Acts having to be read in one volume. There's a whole lot of really important stuff in the introduction, which I won't repeat today. We also said last week that if we study the book of Acts, we are going to study it like players, right? We're going to study it as if we want to play this game as well. You remember that I used two illustrations. The one is a sporting team looking for the game plan, wanting to understand what to do when we take the field or the court. And the other one I used was sheet music. It's only something that you can read. It doesn't become music uh, before you, uh, unless you start playing it, right? So in the same way that we read sheet music and we start playing it, the book of Acts is meant to be played. It is meant to be acted by all of us. Now, knowing the community that I see in front of me on the screen, I know that many of you have faced, are facing, and will face significant decisions at some point in your life. And if I talk significant decisions, I'm talking about the kind of decisions that set the course for our lives. Think about a career choice. What career am I supposed to pursue in which field and at what company? Think about something like relocation. Should we pull up roots and move to a different place or should we not? These are decisions that we are faced with at some point in our lives, if not in the past, and not currently, definitely in the future. Think about something like significant financial purchases, buying a car, buying a home, investing in a business, right? That's significant decisions we ought to make at some point. Or even, I know there's a lot of married folk on the screen, and there's also some not married folk on the screen. A really important question is, uh, who should I marry, right? If I have the intention to marry, or if I really have the desire to get married, who should I marry? These are really, really big and significant and important decisions for us to make. And my question to you this morning is, do you want to know the will of God about these things? It makes sense to me that if we are Christians and we confess our faith in Jesus Christ and we confess the fact that we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, then we should want to know God's will about these things. Now, all of the things that I just mentioned on face value looks like difficult decisions, right? And I know just from being a Christian for uh, more than one day that sometimes the, these decisions can be quite paralyzing, right? If I think about all my interactions with Christians and people in the community of faith, sometimes we really struggle making these decisions, and we struggle making these decisions because we want to get it right, okay? I mean, all of us want to do the right thing that is God-honoring, that is pleasing to him, and that is the right thing to do. Now, good news. This passage today that Zita just read offers us help in finding God's will in these things. And that's also our theme for today as we look at Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 26, finding God's will. Now, what's really important, guys, just from the get-go, when we speak about finding God's will, we should be clear of the fact that God does not toy with us. 
God doesn't keep things in the dark from us. God wants to help. He's a good and loving and gracious and present and all-knowing and all-powerful God that calls us his children. And when we call out to him and when we seek him and when we need something from him, he hears us. I have found that in some conversations, when we speak about looking for God's will, we'll circle back to this later, that people say it feels like God doesn't want to answer me. It feels like God is hiding something from me. That is not the God that we serve. The God that we serve offers help in these things. Now, this theme is a, is a theme that I'm really passionate about as an individual. Uh, in January, God willing, Marie and I would uh, be married for 10 years. So I've been doing a lot of reflection over our last decade as married folk. And I've been thinking a lot about all the significant decisions that we've had to make, right? So we had to choose to marry each other firstly, which happened 11 years ago. We had to choose career paths once we got married. That even led to Marie studying another postgraduate certificate in higher education because she wanted to be a teacher at that point. In these 10 years, we've moved house four times. In these 10 years, Marie has changed jobs twice before starting her own business, uh, in these 10 years, we got two kids and we got one miscarriage, which all had decisions that had to be made around it. We prayed for eight months in 2016 before God revealed the planting of this church as our next season in ministry. It took us eight months of discernment, thinking, prayer, consultation, reading the scriptures and talking. Now, guys, it's 2021 now, which is five years later than the date marker that I just mentioned, because we're only launching our church now, which has to tell you how many challenges we've had to face getting to this place of actually launching and establishing this church and entering fully into this season of ministry. So I know the struggle, guys. Let me just say that as one of your pastors. I know the struggle of having to make these difficult decisions. And that is also the reason why I'll share some of the details of our lives as the sermon continues. So please, when I say stuff about us and the way that we made decisions and why we made certain decisions, please receive it this morning with a lot of humility from my side, right? I'm just using these as way of illustration. I'm not saying in any arrogant way that we got it right. And if you want to make decisions, you ought to do it like we did. I'm literally just sharing that we have also had to make these significant decisions. And then I'll share a couple of stories about how that happened. So in the book of Acts, we're picking up the story uh, from Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. Jesus showed himself to his disciples. Jesus taught on the kingdom. Jesus answered their questions. And then he ascended to heaven. He ascended to heaven by giving them a charge. And the charge was, wait for it. Right? That's the spirit to come down. Let it happen. And then let it rip. Go on mission and go to all nations and share this good news and be my witnesses. And then we get to this portion of scripture. And this portion of scripture is as the disciples pray and as they wait, they need to hear from God about something really, really specific. And that something really specific is who will replace Judas after his betrayal and suicide. They believed it was God's will for them to replace Judas. It was, um, they believed that it was God's will for them to do this that we just read about today. And the question on their lips was, who will it be? They needed a name. 
Now, before we dive into the scriptures, untangle it. And uh, before I give you three points that I think is really, really significant in helping us make these decisions, let me just float in two terms that I have found really helpful. They're not necessarily theological terms per se. They're also not necessarily just practical terms. I feel like they're practical theological terms, right? Ways of speaking about this that help us. And those two terms are the revealed will of God and the concealed will of God. The revealed will of God is that which we know, that which is written down. The Bible, guys, a library of 66 books divided into two parts. That we know, that is God's revealed will. It's right there in front of you. Go for it. Simple illustration. Love God, love others. It's in the Bible. It's written down more than once. It's called the golden rule. Hammer it out. Like you never have to pray about should I actually love this person? Because God's will is revealed to us. It's right there. So the disciples in this part, we'll also come back to this later, had a revealed will of God. They knew what the qualifications was for this man that they had to replace and they also knew what they had to do. I'll show you that in the Gospel of Mark. They knew these things. So we will find this in the portion of Scripture. And then the second word that I want to teach you this morning is the concealed will of God. Now, the concealed will of God shouldn't sound like the, high, the hidden will of God or something that God hides from us. The concealed will of God, I would describe, is stuff that is under the surface that is determined by many variables, right? So we spoke about a career path or a job at some place. Because there's a thousand jobs that you can apply for and a thousand companies that you can work for, there is something that we have to discern concerning God's will for which one will it be. And it's hidden under the surface. It's not seen on face value. It's something that we have to look for. Now, we'll also see something of the concealed will of God in this portion of Scripture because that is what the disciples needed. They needed a name. Let me use marriage as, a, a, as an illustration again. We know what marriage is all about. Let's be honest. It's written in the Bible. We know what it's for. We know who instituted it. We know what should be seen in a marriage. We know how we should conduct ourselves in marriage. Right? We even know that there's some people that will not get married because it's determined by God himself and it's written down in the scriptures. That's all the revealed will of God. So when it comes to marriage and discerning about marriage, there's a lot of stuff that we know already. What's the concealed will of God when it comes to marriage? Well, that is who should I marry? Give me the name. Are you guys cool with it? Like, do we have a grip on what the revealed will is and what the concealed will is? So I want to offer you three things, and then I'll pray for us, and then we'll dive right into it. So the three things that I want to offer you in this portion of Scripture is three principles for finding God's will in this passage. First one, oh, sorry about the numbering. PowerPoint keeps on doing it. It's actually one, two, three, and not one, one, and one. Uh, make every decision in life in view of God's plan of redemption. Second one, always start with God's revealed will. And third one, look uh, for God's concealed will through the lens of his revealed will. Okay, so we'll get back to that a little bit later. If you are a photo taker and you like taking a photo of the screen or the slide, there you go. That's where we are going to camp out for the rest of this sermon. Let me pray for us. And then we'll dive right in. Lord Jesus, we long to hear from you. Father God, we long to know your will. 
We long to know your will in very specific and significant decisions that we have to make. We long to know your will for the everyday stuff of life. We rejoice in the fact that you've given us a Bible and that you've given us so many translations and study guides to this Bible. We praise you that you have revealed all these things to us and that we can know them. We also praise you for the fact that you are present with us as we also search for your concealed will at some uh, points. And I pray for everyone now looking for your will in a specific thing that they have to do, that you would enlighten their spirits, that you would speak to them, that you would help them to understand uh, that which you want them to do. Speak to us, Lord Jesus. We are open to you. We set aside this time to hear from you and to hear from your spirit. We pray that in your name. Amen. Okay, so that was a longish introduction. Okay, uh, apologies for that. Uh, let's race. Th- well, we don't have to race through the three points, but it was a longish introduction. So let's look at these three points uh, one at a time. First one, make every decision in life in view of God's plan of redemption. Guys, that's what the book of Acts is all about. The book of Acts is all about furthering the mission that God gave to his disciples. It's all about spreading the good news. It's all about going and doing what God has called human beings or his church or his body to do. Jesus left his disciples there on earth and he gave them a job to do. That is why we are still here because we also have this job to do and that is why we start here. Now, In the portion of scripture we read today, they actually had an admin decision, right? We had a team of 12. We have a team of 11 now. We are one down. We need one more player, right? So it was an admin decision on face value, but it's actually a really, really important decision. And the reason for that is there was immediate ramifications for the gospel. And I think that's a question that we have to ask ourselves when we start with God's plan of redemption. Whenever we make these significant decisions, ask the question, what are the immediate ramifications of the gospel? Because they knew that they had a job to do. They knew that they were called to do something. They knew that they were only 12. Now they are one down. So they have to fill this space. Let me show you in Mark chapter 3. This is recorded by Mark. He says in verses 13 to 16, and he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, right? The saint ones, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out. And here's here's the job spec, to preach, have authority, to cast out demons. And for that, he appointed the 12, right? So there you guys go, you 12, go and preach, Here's your authority to cast out demons. You guys are the team. Now go and do it. So remember, at this point in Acts, the disciples or the apostles still have this in mind, this job that they were given. Now, Luke tells us that there were more people who followed Jesus, who could be called his followers in his earthly life. But this was the task of this 12. If you page, well, if you move forward a little bit in the book of Acts, you'll see in Acts chapter 4 that they're still busy doing this. We'll get to that later. You'll see in Acts chapter 2, when the church is described, it says that they devoted themselves to what? Well, to the apostles' teaching. 
right? So the job that Jesus gave them when they were still disciples is the job that was crucial for the mission to go forward. They looked at this knowing that we can't do this with one less member in the team. We have to position ourselves for this mission, and that is the urgency for us to do this. Do you guys see it? It's the same question for us. If you think about the mission of God going forward, if you think about sharing the gospel with people, if you think about embodying the kingdom, we should ask this question when we make these significant decisions. Will this position me to further the mission? Us, this is now Marie and I and our two kids, moving here to this place where I'm standing today was exactly because of this reason. We were called to plant a church in a specific area for a specific group of people. And we knew that if we didn't move into the area, we won't get to know the people, we won't get to know the area, and we won't be able to minister significantly in this area. That's it. So we feel the urgency, we pull the trigger, and we decided that we have to move. So that's a example or an example of making a decision when it comes to positioning yourself for mission. Let's talk about money just for a second, because we spoke about financial decisions going forward. And we spoke also, I mean, we often speak about generosity and giving. Jesus says in Matthew 6, don't worry, don't be anxious, I'll give you what you need. Right? Seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. In that way, God positions us for his mission. So when we make decisions about finance, we have to think about the fact if we are making an anxious, a anxious decision or if we are making this decision, trusting God that he will give us what we need because this decision will further the mission. It's an important question for all of us to ask. So firstly, make every decision in life in view of God's plan of redemption. Let's look at the second point. Always start with God's revealed will. Now, this is something that I found really interesting in this portion of Scripture, something that I didn't necessarily see previously as I studied this portion of Scripture, so I was really excited about this. Did you guys see that this whole act that we read today, I was just punning on the book Acts, this act, this whole act started by praying. Did you guys see it? And quoting Scripture. So they were praying. While praying, they were reading the scripture. And while they were reading the scripture, they quoted the scripture. It all started with what God already revealed. Look at verse 20 again. Peter quotes Psalm 69, verse 25. And he quotes Psalm 109, verse 8. It's like, I read it, and now it all makes sense. The Bible speaks into this current situation I am in. It's tough for us to stay here, to wait, and to pray. Let's be honest, guys. That's one of the most difficult parts of making these significant decisions is we want to move too quickly. If I can share a little bit out of our lives, on the 10th of, sorry, not on the 10th, on the 26th of February in 2010, Marie took a photo of the two of us, and on the back of the photo, she wrote, God, I would really, 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 really love to marry Rainer. But if it's not your will, then I don't want to do it. So please bring us together or give him a wife that will match me in her love 
for him. That's it. She wrote it down on the back of a photo. And she waited. And she waited until the 11th of January 2011 for me to give her a call over Skype from the United States saying to her that I believe it's God's will that the two of us should get married. I did not know about the photo. I didn't know about the prayer. She sat and she waited. And when I revealed this beautiful thing to her saying that I'm really, really excited about marrying you, she answered me back with, I've been waiting for you since the 26th of February last year. Let's do it. Right? So kudos to her in terms of waiting, but just making the point that it's kind of tough to wait when we want to move too quickly. Now, here's the thing. We can only wait if we trust the Bible as our authority. Right? We can only wait if we know that God's revealed will and his word will not fail us. Right? It was the same for the two of us in marriage. She knew that God knew her desires and that he will give her what she needs and he will lead us where he wants her to go. In that time, I wasn't even on the marriage train. I said to God, well, if I get married, great. And if I don't get married, also great. Because I know that I can live a fulfilling life without marriage. So it's all in your hands. Show me the way. Both of us had to trust in what we read. The fact that God knows us, that he cares for us, that he leads us, and that he's involved in the small details of our lives. Plainly said, it's about letting the Bible interpret your life and not the other way around. Letting the Bible interpret your life, not letting your life interpret the Bible. It's difficult for us, this thing, but it's true. The fact that the Bible is our final authority. Think about this, guys. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, his sacrifice on the cross, his atonement for our sins, his resurrection from the dead that will help, uh, that will make us be resurrected one day. That is God's ultimate will revealed to us. And it's all written down. The Bible tells us that God wants to know us. The Bible tells us that God wants us to trust him. The Bible tells us that God loves us and that he wants us to experience his love and that he wants us to love him back. We should read it again and again and again and again and repeat it and internalize it and eat it so that it becomes part of the fiber of our being. Peter gets up in this portion of scripture and he states why this happened. And how this happened. And also why they have to replace Judas now. Think about this, guys. Peter gets up and quotes two songs. Peter gets up and says, what God said a thousand years ago is applicable to us now in this moment. That is how powerful the word is. That's why we believe that the Bible is a living book. It's difficult for us to trust the revealed will of God or to start with the revealed will of God because our own experiences are really powerful and very persuasive to lead us to something that the Bible doesn't teach us, right? Or it can make trusting the Bible or the revealed will, will of God so difficult because our own experiences feels more authoritative, right? So because I feel a certain way, I think that God does or that God will or that God should have. Instead of saying, because God says, therefore I will. We can't lord over the Bible. 
we should do what the Bible says. Oh, guys, we've got two toddlers, right? Six years old and four years old. And that is our biggest struggle with them at this moment is this is one of those moments that you ought to listen to me and do what I say. There's no negotiation here. There's no options here. I don't want any pushback. I don't even feel like receiving any pushback. Do what I say, because this is an important moment in the guidance of your life. And we struggle with it because our kids, as small as they are, they push back against it because they feel like they want to do something else at this point. It's the same with us when it comes to the Bible. Now, if you just think about the revealed will of God, everything that is written down in the Bible, guys, we have so much that will keep us busy, right? There's a lot in this book that we can obey, that we can focus on, and that we can do as believers. We should keep busy with that. And then when times come that we have to discern God's concealed will, then we know where we are coming from. There's a foundation for us. There's a lot of knowledge and a lot of things already internalized for us to help us make this decision. We have everything we need when we need to discern God's concealed will. Look at what Peter says in this portion of scripture. He says, one of these men must become. It's in our teaching text, those words. So. Let's do it. Let's do it. Because of what we read, because of what we know, we know what we should do now. Let's get the courage together and let's do it. Do you guys see where his conviction comes from? Where he drew from to get the conviction for what they had to do now. So second point, always start with God's revealed will. Third one, look for God's concealed will through the lens of his revealed will. Okay, what do I mean with that? The apostles started in this portion of scripture with what they knew. We have a vacancy in office. We need a player and we know what his qualification should be. Did you guys see it? His qualification was he had to be around since the beginning, right? <laughs> this guy had to be a solid eyewitness to everything that Jesus said and did. So they knew. And then what did they do? They gathered, they gathered the information. They looked at who they have, right? So here's what we know, starting with a revealed will, and then starting with a concealed will. Well, who do we have that fits this description? I know it sounds really plain, but that's what the scripture says. They had a role to play. We tend to think that we should wait for an answer or for discernment of God's concealed will. We often make the joke that it's not going to come flying by written in a cloud. Right now we say that kind of tongue in cheek and kind of facetious, but we shouldn't wait um, to know God's concealed will by doing nothing. We have a role to play. We should gather the info. We should think through it, right? If you think that you should only wait and recite a psalm or a hymn until God speaks to you, then it is not compatible with this portion of Scripture. They used what God 
gave them. They used their rationality. They used their minds. But they started from this massive foundation of what does God want from us, understanding it and starting from that place. We don't have to check out our brains at the door when we make difficult decisions or significant decisions in our lives. We have a role to play in thinking through it, wrestling through it, talking to our faith family about it. Right? And we have questions to ask. A simple question would be, uh, let's say moving to a new place, right? is does this place have a solid community of faith? that we can join a church where we can be known, a church where we can grow, a church where we can be fed with the gospel and also serve other people. It's just a simple example. But these are questions that we have to uh, think through when we think about um, making these massive decisions in our lives. So we have a role to play. So after starting with the revealed will of God, Praying, waiting, reading the scriptures, letting the scriptures interpret their current situation, letting the scriptures reveal this conviction of what they ought to do now, then thinking it through, having interviews, weighing guys, measuring them, asking if they are actually making the qualifications for this role. What did they do then? They prayed. They prayed, they asked God to show them, and they trusted him. Do you guys see the process? Now, oftentimes, I don't know about you, uh, I would say stuff like, will you please pray with me about this? Right? People often ask me, what can we pray for you? Or in the setting of a city group, we ask what, what you're praying for. And then I share, well, will you please pray about this with us? Something that I was convicted of this week is how much time do I actually spend in prayer praying about this very thing? I was convicted of it this week because in terms of the process that the apostles followed and in terms of discerning God's concealed will, prayer is the ingredient because that's where God meets us, right? That's where we have this personal experience of him. That's where we speak to him and he can speak back to us. That's where I can say what needs to be said, even though it might be in um, you know, bumbling or struggling words, and he still hears me and understands what I mean. I sit on his lap and I have community with him. If I ask people to pray with us for something, how often do I actually pray about it myself? So one of the big decisions we had to make uh, these last months, yeah, months probably, was where are we going to send Ava, our youngest daughter, to grade one? We had to pick a school. And many people asked us, listen, where are you going to send her? And in many meetings, people asked us, what are you guys currently praying for? And many times I said, well, we're really praying about what school we should send Ava to. Why? Because we had a difference of opinion in our house and we had to discern God's concealed will because there's a lot of variables and there's a lot of schools around us and there's a lot of options that we can follow. And in that time, every time I drove past a school, I felt the Spirit say to me, dude, are you actually praying about this or are you just thinking about this? Thinking about this isn't the wrong thing to do, but thinking about it and then submitting it to me and praying about it with me is really, really, really important. Did you guys also see that in their prayer, they say, you know our hearts. Do you guys see that? You know our hearts. And you also know the hearts of these two gentlemen that we are putting forward. So when we pray about these things, looking for God's concealed will, it is a really good question to ask is, is your heart right? Are you praying from the right place? 
Now, let me just be 100 with you today. When I prayed about Ava's school, I found a resentment in my heart because I thought Marie was wrong and I was right. So I wasn't praying about which school we should send it to. I was praying that Marie would kind of get along with my opinion, right? Because I think my vision is better for what school we should send it to. And then God convicted me saying, dude, listen, you can't pray with a heart full of resentment and then ask for me to show you my concealed will if your heart isn't right. Your heart should be pure. Your heart should come from a place of trust and from my revealed will. Your heart should be that you really want to hear from me. That is how we discern God's concealed will. So here's what we know, the revealed will. Here's who we have or what we have. Gather the information, think it through, talk it through, and then pray it through, hear from him, and trust him in this. Now, guys, let me encourage you, because I know that there might be some pushback, either physically or just in your head and heart at the moment. We serve a sovereign God. Can I just remind you about that? Every single significant decision we have to make as Christians is covered and known of by a sovereign God. He's always been sovereign. He's sovereign now, and he always will be sovereign. Take courage and do it. Act in obedience. Because our paralysis comes from, I'm so scared of doing something wrong. Guys, the disciples had to go for it. They knew what they had to do. They went through a process. The stakes was really high because this was about the 12th member of the team, and they had to do it. And then they cast lots. Has anyone read this portion of Scripture going, what? That's like rock, paper, scissors. How on earth did they go through this whole process and then flip the coin, right? In South African vernacular, it's heads or tails. It's impossible that they could decide this by chance. Did they leave it all up to chance? Absolutely not. You missed the last 33 minutes of my sermon if you think that they left it up to chance. They went through this massive process and then went for it. And they made a decision in the way that they culturally made a decision at that point. Just by the way, little side note for the Bible nerds. This is the last time in the whole Bible that you'll see the casting of lots. By a believer in Jesus Christ having to make a decision. Right. So they cast lots now. Next chapter, the spirit will come down. And from that point onwards, it's all about how the spirit leads and how the spirit shows the way. Let me say one last thing about our fear of making the wrong decision, and then I'll end us off in a word of prayer. So this isn't my own story or my own illustration. It's something I heard from a pastor, preacher, and university lecturer called uh, Jim Shaddix. So he told the story, and when I heard it, I thought, wow, this story really, really resonates. So let me make this story my own, tell it to you, and it's a story about us uh, being fearful of the fact that we are, that we might make the wrong decision. So just imagine one afternoon I would come home and I would find our one car parked full of scratches and full of dents on the one side. I would come home 
I would ask Marie what happened, and then she would tell me our two girls, Ava and Katie, decided that they wanted to play a life-size game of noughts and crosses. And they decided that the side panels of the car is the right place to do this in. So they took rocks, screwdrivers or pens or whatever they could find. They put down their little hashes. I almost said hashtag, but they put down their little hash marks and they drew all over the car because they thought that that was a good idea. Well, how would I react and what would I do? Now, I know one cannot admit corporal punishment online anymore, so let me not say that, but there will definitely be some discipline going down here because, ladies, you knew that this was the wrong thing. I have said this to you many, many times before. We don't scratch against the car. We don't lean against the car because the car can scratch and when it scratches, it damages. We have had this conversation, and still, in light of what was revealed to you, you did the wrong thing. That's a moment of discipline for the wrong decision. But now imagine I come home and I find the car in exactly the same state. And upon inquiry, here's the story that Marie tells me. Marie says to me, the kids saw that uh, you are always the one to wash the car. The kids saw how I say thank you to you when you filled up the car and when you washed the car. The kids also heard that you were working quite hard, uh, you know, over this last while, and they decided that they wanted to bless you, and they decided that they wanted to wash the car for you. But what happened was, when they opened up the cupboards underneath the sink, they accidentally also took the steel wool and the really, really rough sponges that is meant for scrubbing, instead of only the cloths or the soft sponges. And then they went out and they started washing the car and they did it really, really passionately without knowing that this will actually cause a lot of damage to the car. What do you think will be my reaction in that circumstance? I might explain to them, listen, ladies, steel wool really isn't a great idea. Let's be honest. I might explain to them what the difference is between a soft sponge and a cloth and then a chamois that you drive a car with. But I promise you that I will love them because they did what they thought was the right thing from their passion for me, our love for one another, and also what has been revealed to them. The same happens with us when it comes to these decisions. Sometimes we get it wrong and sometimes we get it right. But my word of encouragement to you this morning is don't be afraid because we rest with a sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing God when we make these decisions. We rest in His grace. We rest in His love. And we can trust him to show us the way. And therefore, we ought to go for it. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for offering us really, really practical help uh, in things that we really, really struggle with. I pray that we would love your revealed will. I pray that we would love your mission and always start with your big plan of redemption. I pray that we would know your concealed will, that you would help us in this process of making these decisions, that we would get better and better at it, that we would get fitter and fitter at it. And then when we do make mistakes, that we will find that we land in your lap of grace, love, and comfort. Be with us now as we work through this text and as we think through it, as we reflect on it, and as we discuss the implications of it. We pray that all in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.